Welcome to the HR on the Offensive podcast, brought to you by Lace Partners. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, and welcome to the latest HR on the Offensive podcast. It's me, Chris Howard, joining you once again on this Thursday that we release our podcasts. And today, we're doing a build today. Last year, uh, 2023, we're now into 2024, I did a really interesting podcast with Liz Bailey, who works in our change team. And it was all around culture and how it was around culture, but it was around energy levels as well. So how that differs, how that changes from an individual perspective. What we wanted to do today is to, as I said, build on that and really look at it partially from an individual perspective, but maybe lean a little bit more into like the organizational side as well. Liz isn't around today, so I have corralled uh, one of her fellow change <laughs> management experts to join me as my co-host today. And we're both in the same room as well. So that's always nice. And it's Jess Honeyman. Jess, you're on. Hello. Happy to be here. My yes. first podcast. Your first one. First for me. Yeah. Been at Lace for five years, but first for me. So happy to be here. He <laughs> almost said that, said that as if it was through gritted teeth. No, no, no. I'm very happy about getting there. Haven't you invited me on the Yeah, maybe it is. So to join us and to talk about energy and how that can impact organisations, but also, as I said, from an organisational point of view, we have our friends who work at Dragonfish. We've got Neil and Andre who are returnees to the podcast. How are you doing, Neil? Very well, thank you. Really great to see you all again or talk to you all again. Yeah, really, really good to see and talk to you as well. Hello, Andre. How are you doing? I'm doing really well, thanks. It's lovely to be back. Yeah, lovely to be back. Right now, we're going to get, we're going to delve into this kind of energy and all of that sort of stuff. But before we do that, as is my new tradition, I'm going to stop calling it a new tradition soon because, you know, we'll get into the swing of it. But we have a fun, dementally different question. So completely random, not related to HR, a little bit of an icebreaker. My question for today, which I'm going to pose to all three, including my co-host, and I'm going to let Jesse go first. So it gives Neil and Andre some time to think up their answer. Now, the question I've got for you. So I think it's Queen Mary has just had her doll's house that's come on display. And so there's lots and lots of miniatures. So it's all in the press at the moment. There's lots of miniatures that have come out. My question to you, Jess, is... If you could have one item that you own, any item whatsoever, that you get miniaturised and placed into Queen Mary's house, with her little doll's house, what would it be? What one item would you miniaturise? Anything you like. Would it be clothing? Would it be jewellery? What would you go for? What's the purpose of her to have it? Just to so the it's doll. A bit of what about like a West Ham? You can like have something West Ham. So anti like West Ham towel because it's so different from the Royals and it couldn't be like on the the other end of the so spectrum. you're so I'm you're going that so you're going to go for miniaturizing a West Ham towel. Yeah, I said the dog can do it. Interesting, um, Andre. <laughs> please tell me you can beat that. I wonder if I can. I actually did see it on the news this morning. Uh, I even saw they had a really miniature Coleman mustard, which was really, really tiny. It was amazing. What I would miniaturise, actually, she's fairly miniature already, is my Cocker Spaniel dog, because she is crazy. And I suspect she would run around that house and make it filthy. So I'd pretty much like that to happen. (laughs) Brilliant. And uh, Neil, just to complete the set before we start talking about energy, culture and productivity, what are you putting into Queen Mary's little... Tiny dollhouse. 
Well, I don't know why my brain went there. It must be January. It's on my mind. But I thought about a mini gym actually um, should be in there, you know, with all sorts of yoga studio. I just want to see a mini gym in there. So so that's where I went, Chris. That's where I went. Love it. Absolutely love it. So we're taking a little mini gym. And I imagine, given how old that doll's house would be, I don't think they're going to have any uh, any sort of weights or anything like that in there so quite interesting indeed okay so let's get into the nub of it uh, Jess uh, I'm going to let you ask a question if you want to actually I, I don't know if you want to build on the conversations that we've had and just on the pod itself about from an organizational perspective this idea of how energy levels differ yes something that I'm very interested in actually I think it's quite an exciting topic and it's a lot to do with change of organizational culture um, so I think it was interesting for me to obviously listen to the pod um, with yourself, Chris and Liz. And I think that, as you mentioned, was more focused on your individual energy management. So about understanding your energy lows, or I know that Liz hated that word, but your energy lows. So when you're least creative, most creative, how you can boost your productivity by, you know, going on runs and um, kind of implementing or setting up chats with people throughout the day to understand your energy management. So I found it all very interesting. And I know we linked a lot, you guys linked a lot to creativity. And I think it would be good to understand from Neil and Andre more about how, from a cultural organisational point of view, how you can actually manage energy management as well as productivity. So not from an individual point of view, but actually how can you increase energy levels, I guess, and as a result, productivity from a cultural lens. I love the leap from individual energy to how do you look at it from an organisational perspective. Our research and experience would, would show that organizations that are high performing or organizations that are sustainable they're they, they're winning over time put it that way and they're going to win for the future they tend to have created a, a, a blueprint or an or a framework around what they stand for why they exist what they're trying to achieve and how they want to work with each other how they expect to work with each other and with their customers and with partners it's a house it's a framework um, to build up the house uh, theme um, that allows people to thrive and perform or increase the chances that people that want to be in that house or in that environment can thrive so for us Actually, shaping a blueprint that people can connect with is very, very important as a, as a starting point for thinking about how do you create energy at scale, which results in something sustainably productive. So that's a starting point. Yeah, and I think creating that sort of level of positive energy within an organisation stems a lot from leadership and the tone that they set. And I think having that framework, having that purpose that everybody is a shared purpose that everybody can get behind and also that vision, but people are understanding the role they play in that. So real clarity about actually them helping to deliver upon that creates that sense of of sort of energy. And, you know, energy is contagious, right? And if a leader is in an organisation is energetic and positive and that there's a ripple of effect in any organization and that will reach down into teams and managers doing that within their teams so that the culture be, then begins to thrive 
Do you know what's really interesting on that, yeah, Andre? You were just talking, and I'll stick with you if this, this is all right. You were just talking about the impact then that leaders play. How much more important or how pivotal is that and being able to buy every most of that energy from leaders as opposed to just your surroundings and general colleagues? Like, what do you think the balance is? Where's leaders' sort of role in helping to try and foster and, and drive that kind of levels of energy as opposed to just, well, I've got a collaborative group of people that I'm working with and I'm sounding a bit sort of like trying to be trendy, like by vibe, like sort of not vibing, but do you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I think energy comes from all parts of the organisation, right? We all need to look in different directions for energy. We need to see our leaders demonstrating energy being positive. But actually, the people we come into contact with on a day-to-day basis are our managers and our and our colleagues, frankly. And, you know, we need to have that energy. So, you know, whenever we're sort of embarking on a culture transformation programme, the role of managers and leaders is really, really important in creating that the team environment where that energy will thrive. And the energy comes to life, you know, when people understand their contribution, that team's contribution. And people are celebrating success and there's that sense of energy around that celebrating success in driving that forward. So I think, Andre, you've touched upon a couple of things there. So you've got your your leadership obviously setting the tone and then you you touched upon your line managers. And I just want to delve a little bit more in the line manager's role because obviously, especially when you're thinking about a large organisation, your leaders sit right at the top. Not many people really come into contact with them on their daily basis their daily basis. And in my opinion, that line manager role is actually the ones that kind of create the culture because people do come into contact with them a lot. So what are some of the ways in which you can ensure that your line management are aligned to your leadership so they are creating the culture that the leaders actually set from the top? I think increasingly we see that expectation on managers to not just rely on leaders to talk about our vision and purpose, but people want to see that and feel that on an everyday basis. So I think we need to enable managers, people leaders, managers to be more confident about how they can talk about those elements and what it means in their day to day. So something about enabling and training and investing in time in that. But I also think I'm a huge believer that alignment is also about objectives and goals. And those are they're often seen as mechanisms for reward or mechanisms for control, not mechanisms to unlock potential or unlock the best that people can bring. And I think we need to have a, a rebrand and a, and a focus on how great um, goal setting and objective setting can really empower people to unlock their energy and do their best work. So, so often we see teams setting objectives in isolation or doing a poor job of actually talking about objectives and how do they all fit together and where do I play in supporting those goals? Because it's missions that really galvanise people and clear goals and objectives, role clarity massively helps. Our research shows and our experience shows it. So just a few thoughts about how we can help managers create, create better energy in ways that we often put to one side or think are about for other reasons. That's brilliant. And Andre, I don't want to cut you out. So anything do you want to build on that from uh, from your perspective? Just building on that, I think culture comes to life through conversation, right? And the, the, better, the more we have conversations around culture in teams, the more authentic those conversations are, the more people can connect with it in a real way. I think, you know, sometimes, you know, we often say, you know, there's no point having values and behaviours or a vision or a purpose on a wall. It's actually about that becoming a regular conversation and being a natural conversation, conversation that you have rather than something that's forced. 
Yeah, absolutely right. Spot on. I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. And quite often, I've worked in organisations where that those kind of the cultures, the values. I mean, I'm the marketing person, and I, you know, we are having to extol the virtuals, our brand values as a as an entity. And sometimes you just you see the the top down kind of approach of this is what it is. But without that levels of communication and the belief in it, it just doesn't really go anywhere. I wanted to just move into a conversation that we actually had. I think it was when we were originally talking about running this podcast. And it's around, we talked about moments of energy. So I'll go back to you, Neil, and then perhaps Andre, and then actually get any thoughts from you, Jess, as well. You are a co-host, but also I like to just drag you into the, the debate as well. But we talked about moments of energy. And I think this is a really interesting debate because you can't be on it all the time. Like we can't all be at the peak of our powers. And we, we spoke about this as from an individual perspective, but just from a business and a cultural perspective, can I get some thoughts about, you know, it is okay to, I guess, recognise that we have these periods where we're not operating at our optimum. And sometimes it's more incumbent on individuals and businesses to recognise that and then deal with that that really help to drive productivity. So just some thoughts, Neil, just kick it off with you on this idea of these moments of energy and how you can try how do you try and maintain positive energy for as, as long as possible but recognizing that it's not we're not going to be on it all the time we all know that we're not straight lines as human beings we've got physical health mental health we're responding to things going on in the world all, all the time in our lives at work so yeah we're not straight lines so we all agree with that i think what can we do to help people manage their energy better themselves at work is talked about this earlier, but create an environment where you give people as much control as possible to be able to um, know when they do their best work, so long as we're not letting other people down, that we've got some flex that we're trusted. You know, you know our, our, our latest research really shows how important feeling trusted and valued is for high-performing cultures, but there's always that tension between empowerment and control and accountability. How do we, how do we get that right? But I think as, as humans, we perform best when we're clear on the goal, when we've given flexibility to and within certain parameters to get that done and that we feel trusted and valued in our contributions and you know it's talked about a lot of psychological safety but it's about having open conversations it's not just about creating an environment and leadership it's also about people talking to each other and getting to know each other and, and that is all and giving each other feedback is important it's often forgotten i think in the conversation about psychological safety how important feedback is because then you build trust and mutual respect so and that links to our energy so just just a few thoughts there building the, the yeah. environment theme i'm um, andre curious what, what are your thoughts on that yeah so so i think from a, a team perspective it's a it's really about understanding each other at a deeper level we've recently recruited or i've recently recruited a new senior consultant and one of the first things he told me was that he works best from 12 at night to two in the morning well, that was so anti what I am. So I'm, I'm much more at 5.30 <laughs> wow. in the morning to an 8 in the morning. So it's about appreciating people at a, on a different level and really understanding that, you know, we're all different, right? Our energy levels are all different and they're at different points. 
I do believe, however, that there is a sense that there's a need in organisations for collective energy. And that collective energy is around coming together and collaborating. When I see us as a, as a consultancy, where I see us at our best, it's when we all come together to collaborate on something and work on it, co-create something together. And I've seen that in our clients as well, that sense of co-creating something, whether that's a set of values and behaviours or whether that's a you know co-creating a new purpose, that sense of coming together to do something you have this massive collective energy that enables you to do absolutely brilliant work. Yep, absolutely. And that then drives things like innovation. I want to, I'm just going to park that just for a second though, because I just want to, I don't want to keep you out of this, Jess. Oh, of course. I think, yeah, all of those things that Andrea and Neil just said, especially the understanding people, that was what I was thinking of, understanding the people you are working with from a deep level so you can collaborate. I just wanted to add in, I think for me personally, the best cultures I've worked in and which have created me to feel most myself and therefore most positive, which creates positive energy, are ones that allow me to be comfortable with making mistakes. And I think that comes down to trust. And I think it's really important to enable the people that you work with or your, the people that work for you to make mistakes, because that's when people actually are they can take risks more, they can be more creative and they can innovate more because they're not actually afraid that it goes wrong. And I think that really links to productivity and innovation. As yeah. Well. And as uh, as Neil said, you've got that kind of yeah. that psychological safety, exactly. element, don't you? Exactly. Because you feel comfortable and you feel like you are able to fail yeah. fast. I want to move us a little bit onto innovation. And I'm going to keep the question nice and broad. I'll start with you, Andre, and then we'll go to Neil. And then if you want to chip in again, Jesse can as well. How how do you see energy um, helping to drive innovation? And just for context of the listener, we, we obviously do pre-prep for these podcasts. And we had a chat earlier in the week, the four of us, around, you know, this idea of Sometimes you get some people like myself, I kind of, I really feed, when I'm talking about innovation, I really feed off of up being other people, other ideas in, in a physically in a room sometimes. And so I just wanted to get your thoughts around that link to innovation and energy, Andre, and how that, that also impacts productivity too. So I've seen it on two sides, I think. I've seen where in organisations where there's been lots of energy, but it's very much personal energy and personal passion. And that can be uh, detrimental in many ways because actually you have you get your passion projects. So you have all you have people within an organization going off and doing innovation in lots of different places, but actually they're not being framed through the lens of actually we're innovating through our vision and where we're going and what's important and our priorities. So I've seen that side of it. But I've also seen in other organisations how collective energy enables people to innovate in a way that brings people together, gets the best ideas, gets diversity of thinking in a room. Um, so people have are energetic around other people's ideas and that helps to make those ideas even be even stronger. I'm thinking at the minute about how important the customer is in innovation. I'm thinking, I think. The more organisations think of themselves as solving problems for the world, and that's solving problems for customers, you know, whoever their kind of right customers are, I think that is where the energy comes to unlock innovation, not to achieve some internal targets or KPIs, but ultimately about solving problems. That's that's where we've cracked. Look at the pandemic and the speed at which the big pharma organizations work with their supply chains to solve a problem that needed to be solved at pace you know turnaround times that were 
10 times faster than a normal go to market on a on a major um, vaccine that was because a problem was acute problem needed to be solved for the world and brought people together so i think starting with the customer i, I the, the most inspiring energetic worst places i think we visit are the ones where the customer is evident they're on the walls the courts are there the brands are there the projects that have been delivered for them are evident so there's that's there for a reason because they're proud of those problems that they've solved so i think there's something about connecting to the customer and that unlocks yeah. energy and i also think um being really clear about how important those problems are whether it's just moving people from a to b in transport or giving people a great coffee experience whatever that is it matters yeah i love that just so yeah, as you, as you were both talking, I was thinking there's almost two elements of this and they both sit under purpose. I think you've got your organisational purpose, what you're trying to achieve as an organisation. Then you've almost got your project and what you're working on as a project as a client, that purpose. So you can't just have one purpose that sits overarching across your, your whole organisation. You almost need different purposes, visions to allow everyone to work towards that same goal. So it might be within a team, it might be within, you know, if we consultant a client team, a work stream, and then your overall purpose. And I think that's important to, to enable people to always work to the same goal. I think that's spot on, Jess. In fact, I think a lot of organisations just think there's one purpose, which is the organisational purpose, and we must get everyone to understand it and connect with it and celebrate it. But actually, organisational purpose has to connect with your work purpose, the role that we all have, because there's purpose in that, you know, creating podcasts that help spread the words. You know, every single part of an organisation making a difference, then to the, the individual purpose. And that's where you've got the... The kind of if you can get individual purpose, what I'm trying passionate about, linked to my work, linked to the organization, that's the holy grail. It's trying to create a place where that clicks into place. The unbroken connection of why is one way of thinking about it. When we spoke previously about this, we talked about many examples of companies that are doing this well. So getting those different almost layers of purpose well would be really interesting. I'd love to get from you guys any examples of where this is done well, where organization or, or even from from an innovation perspective, where are organizations getting that? Andre, you talked about the alignment between, you know, rather than people going off into different places to do innovation, it's actually coming together to collaborate a bit more. Have you have you guys got any examples of where it's done well? that you can think of, that you can share with our lovely listeners? Let's start with, I suppose, the power of co-creation. So I think there's, a, there's something for me in co-creation, creating energy, and I think that's really important. And we've seen that across many clients where we've been doing values and behaviours work, where we've tried to get to adopt a very inclusive approach because we know that when you want to land values and behaviours in an organisation, they have to be shaped by the people who are actually going to be behaving in that way. So we've taken that um, across things like at the National Trust, where actually for the first time ever, we worked with them to involve both staff and volunteers in shaping and co-creating values and behaviours. And that created a level of energy across the organisation, but actually started to break down sort the differences between staff and volunteers and to bring those two groups much closer together and it also enabled them to sort of work towards the purpose so that everybody had one shared purpose that they were working towards but was sort of, it was manifested differently within teams so that's one good example i suppose of the power of co-creation and energy neil when you're talking about innovation chris i think it's really interesting to see organizations in in lots of different environments we see a lot in engineering manufacturing science technology organizations that it's teams bringing their skills together with respect to each other's skills 
and collaborating with clear goals, that's where energy is unlocked. But it happens in different sectors in different ways. So we work with the very proud to work with the Savoy on helping them redefine their vision, building on a very strong heritage. They're a really good example where they celebrate the extraordinary people that work there and they really elevate the colleague as being at the heart of the guest experience and therefore building pride in elevating your people and respecting your people enables people to innovate in all sorts of ways if you've ever been to Savoy they've got some amazing I don't go to Savoy very often but I love working with them I would love to stay there more often but they they um they have these amazing flower displays and they're always innovating and changing that they're always changing the themes and the layouts even though they're respecting the heritage at the same time so different roles are innovating in small ways all the time because they put colleagues really at the heart of their purpose and and their ambition so innovation is unlocked in all sorts of ways but yeah, definitely putting people at that the heart is key oh, so i'm going to ask a more negative question well not no more negative but maybe a different mm. slant of what we've been talking about so i guess if there is anyone listening to this who might be experiencing low energy for whatever type of reason obviously it's, it's a difficult time for a few industries at the moment what advice would you give and i know we've spoken about purpose and collaboration but anything uh, beyond that advice you would give to those people to actually try and turn it around and to increase the positive energy throughout the organization so negative energy i think it can be quite detrimental i've I've experienced going into organizations where it can take just one person's negative energy to bring the whole place down Mm -hmm. so it's about you know it's about actually understanding that person understanding where they're at understanding why their energy levels are low really being able to bring that energy up to understand to to take them to a different place I suppose and also them understanding because often they don't understand the impact that they're having on other people uh, which is really really important so understanding the impact that those people are having through that negative energy. I think that's spot on Andre I think Perspective is always so key, isn't it? You know, helping people look at things from different perspectives helps change our how we feel about it, which changes the how we show up and the actions we take. So I do think there's a risk that people try to use positivity too much. It's also okay for things not to be okay to talk about it, but you have to move through it and say, well, okay, well, let's they could be worse. How do we compare? Let's look at it from a different perspective. Let's unlock a different way of thinking about this. So mindsets, so critical mindsets and data helps with that. You know, actually, sometimes you need perspective. Let's look objectively at this, not just how we feel about it, but let's look objectively about it. And, you know, let's look at others who have been through this and come out the other side and been even more successful. There's always ways that you can reframe use perspective to help unlock the and sometimes negative energy um you know moving away from something is as important motivation as pulling towards something so sometimes being in a difficult spot and rallying around how do we how do we get out of this can unlock unbelievable energy too so long as we're not willfully blind to the situation we're in where we're talking ourselves in that it'll be fine that's when we've seen a lot of organizations fail or problems um you know, aren't sorted out over a period of time. Yeah, it's really interesting because I guess it's it's all about balance, isn't it? Like we talked earlier on about you can't be on it all the time. You can't no. be you can't be innovative all of the time. And in everything in life, it's a there is balance to be struck to have success. And we are 
reaching, I can't believe that's gone that quickly. There's about 12 questions that I feel like I need to be asking, but the rules, the enforced rules of the podcast (laughs) is 30 minutes only. So inevitably we're going to, uh, I I was going to say drag the guys from Dragonfish on, but I think they love coming on. So I'm sure we're going to get them on again. Just before though we wrap up, I want to kind of do like a a wrapper question, if that's all right. And I'll start with you, Neil. Is there anything for those listeners listening in today, if you want to leave somebody with one kind of nugget around this idea of culture, positivity, productivity, energy. Is there anything that you think, if you take one thing away from this uh, this fantastic conversation, I hope you take lots of interesting things from this conversation today, but if you're going to do one thing, do this, that you'd recommend. Alison, think about That's a tough one. But actually, as I was talking, I hadn't realised the power of thinking about doing goals well. That's the takeaway for me from this conversation, just talking about it and thinking about it. So many organizations can do that better. Like how do you bring in, how do you unlock energy through superb goal setting, which is linked to a a clear vision and purpose? That would be my one challenge and opportunity. Andre. So I think my one thing about strengthening, I suppose, energy within an organization is, is making people feel really valued. Because when people feel valued and when we're celebrating what people are doing, that's contagious, right? People like to hear good news stories. So actually, I would increase the valuing of others in an organisation. Love that. Absolutely love that. Jess, just to wrap us up. A focused on companies to encourage teams and individuals to start to understand themselves better, how they work and how they work as a team to improve collaboration and ensure you get the most out of your organisation. Lovely. Thank you very much. We are out of time for today, but as I said, we will bring the uh, guys from Dragonfish on to uh, to do a bit more soapboxing because hopefully listening into this podcast, you've got your own levels of positive energy that you can take from this. If if you take that, then uh, then that's certainly a beneficial for, for us, certainly. So, Neil, thank you very much for joining us today. Pleasure. Great to be on. Great to have you on. Andre, likewise, uh, thank you very much for coming on. Thanks so much for inviting us. And then finally, last but not least, wonderful co-host Jess. Thanks for coming on. Thank you, Chris. Podcast debut, Jess. You'll also be coming on more often. <laughs> um, you can, of course, get this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. You can access our back catalogue. It's lacepartners.co.uk forward slash podcast. We also do insights. So that's uh, forward slash insights. And you'll see our podcast, but you'll also see white papers, research that we do, videos. We've got a lot of content that we write as well. Sometimes we take some of the, the nuggets from our uh, podcasts and we turn them into written content that you can, you can listen to as well. I and mean, we do other reference points as well. But from myself, from Neil, from Andre and from Jess, thank you very much. And hopefully we'll see you next time on the HR on the Offensive Podcast. Bye-bye.